This is Paige, the co-host of Giggly Squad, and I want to tell you about a company that I've been loving, Olive and June. Olive and June gives you everything that you need for a salon-quality manicure in one box. And if you break it down, it really comes out to $2 a manicure, which is absolutely insane. It's also so easy to get salon-worthy nails at home with Olive and June. The difference between how your nails used to look when you did them yourself and now with the Manny system is a complete game changer. The best thing about Olive and June, too, is it's a quick dry. Dries in about one minute, lasts for five days, and full coverage in up to one to two coats. Visit oliveandjune.com slash perfectmanny20 for 20% off your first system. That's oliveandjune.com slash perfectmanny20 for 20% off your first system. When you're ready to pop the question, the last thing you want to do is second-guess the ring. At BlueNile.com, you can design a one-of-a-kind ring with the ease and convenience of shopping online. Choose your diamond and setting. When you find the one, you'll get it delivered right to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off your purchase. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. That's the second time it's gone off. Never go home, they never go home, they never go home, those, those, those boys. That's... Yeah, they have asked for that, really. Uh, you can laugh, I'm the walk up. I'm a little bit of an idealist, but having said that, I want to be like me. You don't know what you're talking about. What have you done? I'd like to stay alive for six days. Oh, I'd, 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 I'd say it to your face, not say it to you now. I went down to Anfield and we'll see them all. What you doing down here, you shiny man? <laughs> Well, 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 it looks like there might be a bit of life left in the Champions League race after all, thanks in no small part to David De Gea's furious backpedalling at the London Stadium last night. David, at some point you have to stop going backwards, stand there, get ready to save... Oh, no. Welcome to Monday's Second Cabins Football Podcast. Hey, guys. Hey, on. Hello, Owen. How are you? United's defeat to West Ham, coupled with Newcastle losing to Arsenal, has thrown the door wide open for Liverpool. Maybe even Brighton. I'm looking at a graph here from Euro Club Index that gives Liverpool a 36% chance of qualifying. (laughs) 36%. And Brighton only a 3% chance. Now, I don't claim to have all the advanced analytical tools that Euro Club Index has at its disposal, but I do have access to the league table and the fixture list. Mm Mm-hmm. And I can see that Brighton would go above Liverpool into fifth if they win all their games in hand, starting tonight at home to Everton. So, of course, at that point, they're only looking for some slip-ups. And, oh, they happen to be playing Newcastle themselves. So mm. they could help Newcastle on their way to that slip-up. They do still have to play Arsenal and Man City in their run-in. So it's not the easiest run-in for Brighton. But, listen, you can spin the Newcastle match into a positive for Roberto mm-hmm. Deserbi's men. At least there's a bit of excitement around because I did fear that relegation was going to be the only thing we'd have to talk about for the last few weeks up until... And now That's we have on. Man United and Liverpool in a fight to the death. Kind of. And, and Newcastle. also Newcastle. And Brighton. And Brighton. And Evan Ferguson's Brighton. Man United I mean, still... Can we handle this much excitement? That's, I, that's the question Man now. Man United still 77% according to this uh, graph. Okay. That graph doesn't watch a whole lot of Man United games. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, but I think... You need, you need, the graph knows all of yeah. The fixture list is like uh, Bournemouth, uh, Priests over 75s, um, Cup winners... Fulham Sunderland 2004-2005 home <laughs> to finish it's that easy is it uh, it's something like that uh, Wolves Bournemouth Chelsea Fulham yeah oh that's kind 
Yeah. That's very kind. <clears throat> Wolves on uh, Premier Sports next weekend. Would you watch that or do you want to search for something else like you told me you are going to do on Friday? Uh, no, Did you enjoy I, watching? Was it Dave Jones? I don't even know who was presenting because I didn't. It was, uh, it was, it was Dave. Was it Jones, Redknapp and Micah? Was that, was that the, the so team? McDevitt, Delaney and Cunningham. Didn't do Went to unwatch this weekend. Just one little sky bat their eyelashes at 3 p.m. one Saturday in the season and off yeah. you go. Well, Big Sam bats his eyelashes. And, you know, he's going to take on Pep Guardiola. That that did it for me. It actually, in this occasion, it wasn't... I didn't make my decision primarily on the presenting team, but on the... Mm. Big the dream scenario would have been McDevitt, Delaney, Cunningham oh. doing Allardyce, Guardiola. But, but that, well, that, we still talk, that no, can't happen. Yeah. We still talked a bit of Allardyce at the start, Murph, because, you know, equal opportunity. Oh, what did they say about Allardyce? Because I missed this. Oh, Damien. Damien played for Allardyce. Oh, yeah. Damien loves Al- at, Allardyce. At Palace. Yeah. Yeah. I see. He said he he was just he was very amused by the opening press conference. The in football terms, no, I'm, I'm the greatest. No, no one's better than me. No, yeah, yeah. he's he's like that. That's that's obviously for the players. You know, it's to show I am the I am Big Sam. I'm that per you know I'm that persona that you think I am. Yeah, and I'm like, you know, larger that, than life. Yeah, exactly. That's that's the kind of way to impress a colorful character. football men. But a sense he was similar. <laughs> when he went into Palace, according to Damien. It was just like, listen, this is the team for tomorrow. Any of you got a problem with it? Don't want to hear about it. Uh, yeah. This kind of stuff. I know, saw so if I was Aladicio, I could have managed Man United. Your, in your game, on they uh, finally dropped uh, Eric Dyer. Yeah. The sacred cow got the shot. <laughs> and they uh, win the match. So I don't know there if you that's... Go. If Liverpool do make it, they can thank Trent Alexander-Arnold's recent transformation to midfield maestro full-back come midfield maestro. A move that has put to bed any doubts about his ability to operate in a central role. Surely... Hmm. One man remains to be convinced, though. I think he's the best Premier League player in the last 10 years. That's not Damien actually talking about <laughs> about Trent. That's Damien talking about David Silva back in the day. So I, Silva? Yeah. His passing is so, so good. Yeah. Silva. Keeps creating overloads all over the pitch. Yeah. What about... Uh, so patient. Any of about 50 other players. We're not going to do this again. But just <laughs> Save no, this game. We've done do the Silva one, right? But what we're go- I, So, okay, this is the backstory here. I did the Liverpool-Leeds game with Damien on Premier Sports recently. And he was scathing about the idea of Trent in a more central role. He subsequently caught wind of you, Ken, waxing lyrical about your own vindication on the matter. A nation grows great when old men plant trees in the shade of which they will never sit. <laughs> Damien sent that clip to old me. Old man. Damien sent that clip to me with a load of crying laughing emojis and the caption what the fuck is this bollocks so he's demanded an in-studio debate and it's going to happen this Thursday the great Trent centre mid debate Ken Erdy versus Damien who cares about the Champions League semi final? yeah don't worry talk about that that as well there'll be a bit of of time you're ready for this Ken you're ready for Damien I suppose I have no choice Uh, it's true it's happening now that one is for World Service members only as is our coverage of Real Madrid versus Man City and the All-Italian Clash in the other semi, the other semi-final, as mm. I keep calling it. That's all going to be available if you want to sign up now, or if you already are a member, of course. Today we're talking about the recent report commissioned by the FAI into the funding of horse and greyhound racing in Ireland. This was first revealed by Daniel Macdonald in the Irish Independent. The report found the state has given almost $1.5 billion to those two activities since 2001 through the Horse and Greyhound Fund. And given the betting tax was cut from 2% to 1% between 2006 and 2019. There was a, a shortfall to make up in that time. So 494 million euro, according to this report, was paid in from a separate part of the state's coffers to top up the funding. The FAI's argument in all this is that not all bets, you know, people bet on football too, quite a lot these days. Uh, a lot of the bets aren't placed on horse racing 
or Greyhound Racing for that matter. So therefore, the there should be a fairer divvying up of the returns from the betting tax to other sports. Gavin Cooney has been writing about all this for the 42.e. He's particularly interested in the government response to the initial report, even more than the report itself. So that's all coming up after your report on sport. One size fits all seems like a good idea for clothes until you try them on. Same goes for healthcare. That's why United Healthcare offers flexible, budget-friendly coverage for medical, vision, dental, and more. Learn more at uh1.com. Hey there, it's Michelle Norris. I'm host of a podcast called Your Mama's Kitchen. When I travel, I'm usually looking for a way to find a taste of home when I'm not at home. And one of the things I love to do when I am at home is entertain. And Airbnb allows me to do that. When I was in California recently, I rented a house that had a great kitchen. And when we were sitting around the table, we're all thinking, we're in someone else's house. Someone could be in all of our homes as well. If you have a home, but you're not always at home, you have an Airbnb. Your home might be worth more than you think. Find out how much at airbnb.com slash host. Well, and it's, um, what a game. What a game that was at St. James's Park. These games really, every Newcastle game I see now turns into I don't blood sport is too much but like <laughs> there's just an edge to these to these games you know mm. there's something I mean uh, they get so angry these games always get so angry whenever it's Newcastle against the kind of uh, what they now what are now their rival teams their mm. peer teams such as title mm, formerly title chasing still kind of title chasing Arsenal um, they're uh, still chasing the title I mean they are yeah they're like a long way behind they can't really see the title anymore, but they're still chasing the title. Yeah, uh, and you never know what might happen. Maybe that, maybe, um, maybe something unimaginable will happen. Uh, can't imagine that's, that. That's where. We're, <laughs> that's what we're. Can't see it. We have to look for. But this was this was a great performance from Arsenal uh, in a number of different ways. I could see, for instance, George Colkin, who covers uh, Newcastle. Um, among other things, for the Athletic, uh, tweeting Newcastle. NUFC, not at their very best today, but there was a compliment in the way Arsenal played against them. Being good wasn't enough. They had to be spiky and smart, too. With Man U losing, it doesn't matter too much anyway. Well, we'll see about that. But the in, in terms of the spiky and smart bit, what that refers to is um, gamesmanship and time-wasting. Mm-hmm. Uh, we say spiky and smart in um, in the sort of Newcastle world because it's it's this season it's unfashionable to refer to cheating and time wasting by what by those words we mm. we use we use other words because Newcastle themselves have been the arch exponents of this in the Premier League um, with the uh, sole honourable exception of Brentford who actually do it even a little bit more <laughs> right but Brentford aren't um, funded by they're the plucky Brentford they don't have yeah. Alexander Isaac you know what I mean they don't have uh, Bruno Gamarais. Um they've got to try and, and make two they do even Ivan Tony though who is um, I've got to say pretty uh, pretty useful it is a, it is a damn shame <laughs> you know the whole, uh, the whole situation with him. When is it going to be resolved? Mm-hmm. Uh, hopefully that, that happens soon because uh, it does make it slightly awkward to, to buy him at the moment for, mm-hmm. for anyone who's interested in doing it. But um, 
spiky and smart, right? So Arteta is like, we have to be spiky and smart. Now, I don't know to how much of this was just revenge by Arsenal for what happened when Newcastle played at Arsenal earlier in the season, Drew, and just lay on the ground for most of the game, apart from when they were preparing to take a goal kick, which was like incredible. Like, I mean, you've seen um, rocket launches with less... Play, uh, less preparation than Eddie uh, than Eddie Pope, not Eddie Pope, <laughs> Nick Pope, Nick Pope's um, goal kicks. But uh, Eddie Howe um, said after the game, wonderfully, uh, it was frustrating because we wanted the ball in play. It was very stop start, which suits the away team. Mm. So that is the coach of the um, team, which according to Opta takes the longest time to restart play after any stoppage uh, of any Premier League team except Brentford, mm. as we said. I think Brentford managed to play a game at Liverpool over the weekend which had 39 minutes of the ball in play, which was a, 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 <laughs> an, impressive, an impressive achievement. Um, but uh, Newcastle, I, I don't know if, if this was because... Arteta was motivated by revenge or because he he thought this was an effective way to win the game or was it because he just knew that Newcastle United were going to get incredibly triggered and start completely losing their heads you know that could also be maybe mm. that was just something which happened maybe an added bonus serendipitous yeah. For, yeah. for Arsenal hammer the hammer but that is what happened uh, to the point that Eddie Howe uh, the uh, notable young coach uh says that, in his opinion, Newcastle United need to control their emotions. We could look with that. Um, because uh, I think with Newcastle, there's a couple of things I think about this. Number one, obviously, controlling controlling your emotions, yeah, in the football sense, fine. What Newcastle really needs to do, obviously, is sort of channel the volcano energy of the stadium. You know, it suits Newcastle, I think, to, to play... Uh, a kind of an emotional style, let's say, to you know, to a kind of a style of football. If I if I was saying what what should Newcastle do, I think they should obviously play something which is going to excite fans, as opposed to a kind of a let's be clever, you know, let's be clever and contain and, and control and waste time. You know, I think they should lean into the. Although you're the just emotion. saying they, they do waste time, you were saying I mean, they do more than anyone else. Yeah, yeah, they they do, and I, I don't th- I don't think they should. See, I think this is a terrible mistake by Eddie Howe. I think it's a long term mistake, which by Howe, and obviously his I, I can't mention Eddie Howe without mention, mentioning Jason Tindall. You know, Jason Tindall, who to, if you to watch a Newcastle game, you would assume was actually running the mm. team. You know, he was in first with the handshake again. No, you know, every time, every I, I honestly think it's every time. Until well, the, uh, Gary unless Neil. you first pointed it out to me, that Gary Neal snubbed him. Yeah. Gary Neal said. Get away from me. I'm not yeah. shaking hands with you until I shake hands with my actual yeah. counterpart. Um, but he's there, you know, he, he's shaking hands with everybody. You know, you can, there's photographs of him shaking hands with every, with how always coming up behind him. It's a brain's trust thing, you know, it's, there's multiple brains linked in a network. Mm. You know, it's, it's, it doesn't matter that it's Tyndall who, you know, in, in conventional terms seems to present himself as the alpha of the duo. Mm who seems to stride forward to accept the congratulations or commiserations of the opposing manager, not his, not his opposite number, obviously. Mm. Um, that's, this is a collegiate, collegial thing. It's not about hierarchy. You know, it's not about I'm the, I'm the man and you're my assistant. Mm. You know, even though technically Tyndall is assistant. But um, 
Sorry, where was I? I've, I've got. To, I've distracted you were, myself. You were saying that they should channel waste the emotion less time of the, uh, of and, the and Well, I think it's a. Lo- I think it's a long term mistake for Newcastle to to play the way that they um, have been doing with this with, with this time wasting gamesmanship, which they have been doing all season, right? Everybody, and that's why everybody was laughing at them um, yesterday because it's mm. a taste of their own medicine. And I think this is a mistake. It's a mistake for them to play a style which is going to get them the reputation of being an ugly team as well as a, an ugly project. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? Because they've obviously, they, they, you know, you could hear the plane, you hear the plane buzzing around. Uh, uh, the, you're watching the game, you hear that. You know. I, I didn't notice it, Ken, I'm sorry. I did notice it. Uh, the characteristic noise of a plane, it's, it happens at most Premier League games now. This plane was saying, free all Saudi prisoners. So obviously Newcastle have this ongoing issue, which of course, you know, the Newcastle fans are, well, we don't care about that or whatever. But to be a kind of a, a pig ugly team as well, you know, to, to playing this kind of uh, gamesmanship style, don't do it. Like, why Why is he doing this? You know, it's just, you don't need to do it. You've actually got the resources to, to play. look at what Guardiola has done, look at what Klopp has done. You don't need to play this way to be successful. Well, they're leaning, he's, he's leaning into the siege mentality thing. He's leaning, leaning into the no one likes us, we don't care. Why not embrace that? And that actually helps whip up the fans. I know, I know fans in that love high tempo football and so on, mm. but also they, the Newcastle fans seem to enjoy what they see during all this time wasting, which is the shenanigans that the Newcastle players get up to yeah. and it, it actually does whip them up even if it's not very exciting football Yeah, it's. I mean it, 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 uh, I wouldn't say it's not very exciting football either by the way Owen, because Newcastle are an exciting team to watch in many ways like the, the, they're an incredibly powerful team Right, they're so like the, in the first few minutes of the game yesterday, it looked like they were going to smash Arsenal, like as they have done to a few teams recently. Like they were just going to roll over the top of Arsenal. You know, Murphy, Murphy at the post. Then they had this penalty, which Howe blamed for kind of knocking them off their stride. Certainly knocked Alan Shearer off a stride. I don't know if you saw him uh, ranting at uh, Dermot Gallagher. No, <laughs> well, it was amazing. It was on the like Premier League TV or something, and it was honestly, it was like a few good men, you know. Uh, Shearer for some reason thinks he's Tom Cruise, and Gallagher is there as the sort of the patsy who's been dragged to justify this refereeing mm. outrage. And Shearer is screaming at him, "Think, Dermot, you know, well, how can you be sure that didn't hit his hand?" While with perfect timing, the footage, the angle plays showing mm. the ball clearly hitting. Uh, Kibior's leg, not his arm, which he, which is behind his leg. He's actually whipped it down to behind, you know, so mm. he can't. And um, just amazing stuff. Like this is a guy who, as as about a billion people pointed out in the tweets underneath it, was last week demanding Jurgen Klopp be, you know, <laughs> whatever touchline ban for a similar performance for the team he actually manages you know what I mean in the, in the like he's actually standing there at the sideline at the game loses his head but okay so it knocked it knocked uh, Newcastle out of their stride what I'm saying is there there are exciting things about the team Isaac in particular is absolutely incredible right uh, the other the others like they've got a couple of uh, great Brazilian players they've just they just sort of exude this power and I just don't think there's any need for the other stuff that they go on with um, and I think that's going to be long term. It's going to be a real problem for Eddie Howe unless he unless he fixes it. And why though? Why is it going to be a problem? Because everyone will dislike them, and actually, some of the fans will start to complain about it as well. His you own can, fans won't complain as long as they're being successful. As long as they're being successful. Well, that's going to be the case regardless. Yeah, but I, do, I also disagree that this is the best way to be successful. I mean, if I look at that that graph, you know, average time before restarting play. Um, 
the team that's in, in most of a hurry to get the game going again is Liverpool. The, the second uh, most hurrying team that wants to play the game is Manchester City. The third is Leicester City, also who won the Premier League recently, although they might have been a bit slower about it, to be fair, when they were winning that Premier League. Yeah. Uh, Spurs, Manchester United, Chelsea. So we're, we're looking at the, the sort of top teams. <clears throat> Arsenal. Hmm. Top teams? Well, you know, I mean... They've big sit, clubs, big club mentality, Tom. There's Brighton there as well. Arsenal are also just inside the top half. I mean, you look down the bottom, um, I see Everton, Southampton, Bournemouth, Newcastle, Brentford. You know. Uh, That's mainly because they're behind in most, in a lot of games. They're just they're not very good teams, so they yeah. have to do it like that. Yeah, uh, I, don't, I don't think Newcastle have to do it like that. I think it's a... It's a silly affectation from Eddie Howe. I don't know if he's trying to be some kind of a tough guy, like he's trying to be a hard man like Diego Simeone. Like Eddie Howe wants to walk into the bar from uh, from dusk till dawn. <laughs> and, and, and everyone will be like, oh, here's Eddie, you know, sort of, there'll, there'll be a hush. He, he'll come in. Oh, obviously, Tyndall will, will I was going to say, yeah, it's Tyndall first. Yeah, Tyndall here's will, Tyndall will walk in. Here's Eddie. You know, uh, hand his coat the, to the... The doors is of the saloon whacking Eddie Howe in the face <laughs> as Tiddle walks through the... <laughs> sorry, sorry, sorry. Yeah, but you know... I'm here too. Th- th- this, is, this is silly. It, he's, he's creating a rod for his own uh, back, in my opinion. Anyway, in, in this uh, instance, it was uh, the biter bit. Arsenal were doing a bit of uh, flopping and, um, you know... Uh, complaining about injuries and and so on and so forth. But still, it was Newcastle who got triggered by um, not being given a phantom penalty that the referee wanted to give them. They booed the the ref off, even though he did everything he could to try and give them that penalty. Um, And then it was taken away. Then there was this amazing goal by Odegaard. Now, I will say that I don't think it was Popey's best moment, Mm. because when you are beaten by a shot from nearly 30 yards that actually goes kind of a yard inside the post, probably you need to get closer to that shot. Uh, I mean, if you look at him, his dive is very late and and he doesn't get much distance on it at all. Um, But he's obviously surprised by the the shot. And Odegaard absolutely was incredible in the first half of that game. He is... Is he like the best... Is he kind of the new De Bruyne at this point? I mean, is he is he kind of the player who's best positioned to be the that sort of figure in the in the league over the coming seasons? I mean, I think he probably is, right? Potentially, yeah. Well, he scored obviously his goal, which which you know, the record that ever, the non penalty goals record. Um, he has the most non penalty goals for a midfielder, along with De Bruyne, um, scored in a season. And he's obviously got a, a couple of games left to to break the record. Um, I mean, he's he's obviously a different player from De Bruyne. I don't think he's quite as powerful. I don't think he's got quite the kind of running dynamism that De Bruyne has had. But he is, he's got incredible vision of the game. So kind of elegant in his style and has done some things this season which are just ridiculous. You know, little bits of improvisation, like things, little manipulations of the ball that you can't remember seeing anyone do before. You know what I mean? Which Which he seems to kind of just create in the moment. Um, an absolutely phenomenal player. I mean, I was thinking actually watching, I was like, it's it's quite difficult to pick a team of the season this year. Like, if you're going to pick a, a team of the season, um, I think there are only two players uh, who walk into it, who everybody everybody would have in their team. And I can test that by asking you. Well, Erling er- 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 Haaland, you're going to say Odegaard, I would, Saka. Uh, I wouldn't say Saka would be a universal uh, choice in the in the matter of this other player. Oh, hang on, you've already done two. I've already done two. Haaland and Holland. Holland, I agree, is a is a definite. Obviously, 
Mm. And Odegaard is that not the two? Did you ask for two? No, I'm not talking about. I'm, I, I think Odegaard is is, oh, is debatable because there's, oh, there's, okay. there's lots there's lots of good players. I mean, I think I would have Odegaard, but um, well, the easiest way to pick a goalkeeper is to check which goalkeepers had the most clean sheets. So could you, just, <laughs> could you just check that stat there? <laughs> so the goalkeeper with the most clean sheets obviously is the best goalie in the Premier League. So that's yeah. well, he is David on, De Gea about Chester United. De Gea is a, I would put Allison as the as the goalkeeper. I think he's the best goalkeeper. Uh, and I think he's had a good season. Mm. Um, but when I'm looking through the rest of the team, I mean... Uh, Midfields, Trent Alexander-Arnold. <laughs> well, I don't think... I mean, I don't think he's had a good enough season to be getting into any teams of the season. Mm. But Saka, I would say... I mean, you'd, you would obviously have to pick the 3-2-4-1 because it's, it's, the, it's like the formation of the season. Everyone's yeah. doing it, you know? Okay. Everyone's playing 3-2-4-1 now. Um. <laughs> Uh, or at least you know all the best people. Yeah. Right. Yeah. So uh, I think you've got to pick obviously Kevin De Bruyne. Yeah. And then you've, I'm gonna say you, you got to pick Odegaard, and then I think you've got to pick Bukayo Saka. Yeah. And then Martinelli's got more goals yeah. than him, hasn't he? Yeah. See, I also want to pick Martinelli there, but are we at a, a, in danger picking of not picking Arsenal. enough Man City players? It's just all Arsenal. Well, also, what about what about well, Hall, Hall, Halland De Bruyne? I honestly would pick Alexander Isak in the team as the left sided. Uh, forward. No, hold on. Over the course of the second half of the season, but he did miss half the season. Well, he, he missed. He, it wasn't his fault that he was injured. When he's when you look at what he's done when he's played, it's you, not like it's not like he was terrible for did nothing for half the season and then suddenly he's on fire for the second half. It's like he no, missed. No, but it's the contribution over a season. It's not his fault that he was injured. It's recency yeah. bias. You just have that. You just oh, had that dribble know. against was it Everton? That ridiculous yeah, dribble. Yeah. Along this, well, <laughs> well, I mean, well, in yeah. fairness, it is one of the most amazing pieces of play I've yeah, ever seen. Yeah. And it's in also. My life. The fact that uh, he was it, well, he's been overlooked for Callum Wilson. Like is Jack Grealish getting in this team? By the way, I mean, there's a lot. There's some. Well, Grealish, Rashford, Rashford, you know, he, these are like left-sided options. Um, I mean, if you look at the central uh, center of midfield, Rodri. I mean, you kind of have to pick Rodri, right? I mean, like there's a reason why Man City are unbeatable. You know, apparently un, unbeatable. Um, uh, then you've got like Casemiro was very good for a while, but like. Has he been good enough for long enough? He's missed a lot of football. Self-inflicted. Yes, Bruno, Bruno, Bruno Gomorais. I mean, there's a reason why Newcastle are are third in the league. Mm-hmm. Um, Gundogan. I mean, Gundogan, like, it's just gave a performance against Leeds, which was, like, perfect, and then walked off and practically crying. I can't believe I missed this penalty. Oh, I feel so bad. You know, like, so he broke the record for, his own record, for most passes in a game by by a Premier League player. Uh, scored two goals and was like, oh, I'm so disappointed. <laughs> I mean, this guy's ridiculous. Um, I don't know, and you, you obviously want to throw Trent Alexander-Arnold in there. Well, I'll save that up for Thursday. Um, and then in terms of the defense, Diaz, you know, Stones, Saliba was good for a, Saliba, yeah. His injury has been bad. Fact, you've seen how much they missed him when he hasn't been there, so. Sometimes Mark. missing a bit of a season actually plays into your hands. Completely, this is yeah. exactly what's happened with the uh, Those Newcastle guys, Boltman and Cher, have both been very good. Um, Martinez has been very important. I mean, we can get we can talk about Martinez actually. Um, because can I, can I just give you a little story first about uh, mm-hmm. our friend Odegaard because he did a Players Tribune article a while ago. Don't know if you read that. Uh, Odegaard, yeah, go on. He had you. You were just talking about his the the his ability to 
I don't know how you quite phrased it, but anyway, I'll I'll talk about what he says. He was particularly his dad is he had this pushy. Well, he doesn't say pushy dad. He said you might call him a pushy dad, but he's just a dad who he made was. me train relentlessly all morning and all night. He was particularly obsessed with me developing my awareness and quick feet. He was always getting me to look over my shoulder before receiving the ball. In winter, when we couldn't play outside, he took me to the indoor sports hall. We would do drills where he'd play the ball off the bench and would bounce back to me. He'd come up behind, pressing me from one side, and I had to look and adjust before receiving it. These days, when you see me turn away from a defender, using that touch and quick reading of the game that's the sports hall that's my dad that's the sports hall so that's what you're talking about that's the sports hall that's my dad he said in the cadence of the great American sports hall <laughs> <laughs> um, now uh, he, he, he did a one, one touch in the game uh, yesterday where there was kind of Arsenal were sort of playing the ball cross field and it, there was a kind of a weird ball coming at him from a strange height uh, and a Newcastle player running up to smash him from behind. It's literally the sports hall and his dad but go on. Well it's like his dad was being played by whoever it was Big Dan Byrne mm-hmm. or, or whoever uh, and what he did was just I think he sort of took a little touch to control it but but then it was an instant like outside of the foot round the corner pass like it looked like he was going to have to take another touch to properly control the ball but instead he just passed it with the outside of his foot into the path of a teammate which was just brilliant. And he's been doing these kinds of things. Yeah. Um, uh, yeah. What am I? So I suppose Martin Odegaard, good he, player. He's in there. He's in your team of the year. Um, Martinez, you want to talk about Man United? There's, there's um, you know, Caicedo, McAllister, these kinds of guys as well. Um, to consider. But yeah, and as we say, uh, Manchester United. We'll get to that. We'll get back to that team of the year stuff. I was just thinking, it is unusually difficult. Like there's a lot of, hmm. Anyway, uh, Manchester United. Uh, yeah, David De Gea. Yeah. So David De Gea is now in the Hugo Lloris zone, by which I mean the four errors leading to opposition goals this season in the league zone, which isn't a good zone. They're the only players in the zone. They <clears throat> Another stat from Optimus, they've lost eight away games this season, which equals their worst ever Premier League seasons, which were, in, in terms of away defeats, which were 20, uh, 122, not so long ago, and 2015-16. So both since... Both in the post-Fergie era, or mm. all three, rather. Um, they, they never were this bad under Ferguson. And they've done it three times in like the last seven seasons. Um, Ferguson, 10 years uh, ten years ago today that they announced his, or he announced his, oh, yeah. uh, his resignation. But yeah. I was I, sitting in a cafe in Temple Bar again. Oh, you remember where you were? <laughs> Weirdly, wow. just when you said it, I do. I do wow. Well, what, did you, what was your reaction on? Wow. Wow, the big man. Better. What a career. Slurp down this coffee and get into work. Don't be, um, don't be sad that it's over. Yeah, be Just happy to smile that it happened. Something like that. Yeah. Um, well, it 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 was there was this feeling at West Ham of of things are are sliding badly out of control here for Manchester United, and while they still have it, as Eric Ten Hag said, in their own hands, and the fixture list is uh, kind, the form is cruel, um, and it seems maybe looking at what's happened over the last few games that we can draw the conclusion that the most important signing was was the one that was criticised the most of the time. Um, Martinez, who injured uh, injured himself against um, Sevilla, remember the last minutes of mm. that game. Since then, they played seven games and won two. And it's like the whole thing has collapsed. Mm. It turns out that he was actually making it, making the whole thing work. Well, Varane as well. Varane, I mean, don't... The, the loss of both of them. It, it might be a compound issue. It's a cascade, you know. Uh, and, and when Martinez is not there, 
suddenly they can't really pass the ball out anymore. And it also makes De Gea's job more difficult. Now, this isn't relevant to, to the specific goal that they scored, which is just a, a mistake by De Gea that's like, well, come on. Yeah. Um, but it's How many more... times I'd say Simon Hick would have saved that? <laughs> but he honestly, that was, wouldn't, he, by the way. No, no, Hill. he's the worst keeper I've ever seen in any sport by a mile. But I still think Simon might have got there. Yeah. Well, definitely David Hay should have got there. I mean, he saw the reaction of everybody just surprised from West Ham and kind of, you know, no one making eye contact from the Manchester United side. But also, if I'm talking about Martinez, it makes his job more, Hay's job more difficult because he can't pass the ball. Um, and at least with Martinez there, he had someone he could pass to who he could be pretty sure under pressure would be able to deal with it and do something mm semi-useful with the situation whereas now it's really so easy to press them every time De Gea has the ball it's just you're just all you're trying to do is get him to to shank a, a long kick into the middle which Manchester United will not win who's he going to kick to Anthony you know what I mean is he going to kick it to Veghorst maybe I mean in theory yes but in practice it doesn't work you know Anthony obviously is has um has been pretty disappointing. This is another. This is a one that obviously Ten Hag himself pushed for. You know, the, there was in the in the ongoing Carger Neville thing. I do wonder if it's going to lead to a, a big falling out at some point because you know just the the opinions getting more trenchant. Um, but Neville had complaining about the Glazers again. <clears throat> yeah, the Glazers decide to play Vaycourse as a ten, spend ninety million on Anthony and seventy million on Casemiro, thirty one on a five year deal. Um, was the uh, the criticism? So this is uh, this is now a difficult situation for Ten Hag. I thought it was interesting that the his approach after the game was not. Remember earlier in the season we were talking about United who who were often winning, and Ten Hag uh, complaining uh, and criticizing the performances and saying this wasn't good, this wasn't good. It wasn't just after they won; it was also sometimes after they lost. He stopped doing that. Mm. Now he's kind of like. You know, my my boys, my sweet boys. Let's get together to the end of the season. It's all in our hands. You I know, his thought that he was very muted yesterday, and Moyes <laughs> was quite muted in victory. It was a disappointing post-match interviews. Yeah, Moyes, and because if if United had managed to equalise, imagine what would have happened in terms of Moyes and the disrespect shown by VAR to him. Remember that it was Thiago against West Ham getting away with that, uh, like multiple handball. Uh, was it only last weekend? Um, and this time it's Lindelof. I mean, how, you know, how can you not give that as a handball? He punched, table, yeah, punched yeah. the ball into his own face. Yeah. Like, come on, you know, that's, that's like a, definitely he moves his hand into the ball. But um, wasn't given, luckily enough, uh, for West Ham. It didn't matter. They uh, they got the win. So why, just on Ten Hag, why do you think he's being, he's changed his tack? Because he can't keep hammering them. <laughs> you know, it's like, the, it, it, the things are things are actually bad now in a way they weren't. When he was complaining about details earlier in the season, he's like, you know, we need to do better. But now it's like, this is looking a bit ropey. You know, there's, there's serious pressure now. It's like, we only need to win three out of four. It's like, that sounds like a lot. Yeah. You've won two of the last seven. You know? Like... Two of the last four is a major, major improvement on your current form. Yeah, I mean, obviously that's that's if the other teams, you know, Brighton and Liverpool, keep winning. Yeah, but at the moment they, it looks as though they can do that. Um, so, where are we? Oh, well, well, we should get back to to the City um, Big Sam game because that was that was as we know the main event on Saturday, and uh, I for one was a keen viewer of this. All right, all right, Jesus. 
thought we'd covered this. But um, you see what City did in the game was like was quite simple, but it worked really well. Um, they were like, okay, um, Sam Aldice is going to tell all his players to camp in front of their goal and park the bus. That means that basically all the room from like the edge of the box out will be ours. So why don't we just go there and then kick the ball into the goal? Let's see if that works. And it and it did. And and so this is what they kept doing. Every time Maris was in position, not not quite every time, there was one time he actually spun across towards uh Haaland. But usually what he did when they, they kept giving the ball to Maris on the right, and then he would and then they'd have a couple of players, usually Haaland, maybe someone else, uh kind of running towards the six yard box and all of the Leeds players, all the nine Leeds players are concerned with defending that area and then they would just roll the ball in front of those backtracking Leeds players to someone who's coming in. And so this happened like minute 12, minute 16, minute, minute 16 again, minute 19, then that, that, that was the goal. Then it happened, I think minute 23, you know, it's the same thing every time. You know, if you saw the Leeds uh, after the first goal, which going against both, um, Sam and Carl Robinson, his assistant, are like, oh, you know, talking. What are we going to do? Um, but they didn't change anything, it looked like, because, because City kept doing the same thing. And then they scored the same goal again. They said the same two players, same method. You want to defend? You want to you just get back there? Then that's fine. We'll just. It is that thing that City do ruthlessly exploit. If it's just one single weakness, we'll just keep doing we'll the same thing until it. you put and, something there to stop it. And you're not going to do anything. You know, if, to watch City move the ball up the field <clears throat> it was interesting. All they had to do was walk with the ball. And Leeds weren't trying to get it off them. You know, so, so Leeds only were, were trying to actually challenge City kind of more or less in, the, in their half of their own half. You know what I mean? Mm. Uh, City, there, there was no sort of pressure being put on them high, higher up the field. Um, players walking along literally walking strolling with the ball and then just passing the ball sideways strolling a bit further until they're oh, we're now camped around Leeds' box this is this is the game they want to play this is a really easy game for us um, but but I think that the actual patience to do what City do like the kind of calmness to say okay they're, they're sort of retreating but we don't need to hurry here mm. we're, we're just going to walk up the field get in the position we want and then see what we can do a lot of teams can't actually do that. So I think that what Sam Allardyce was doing w- would work against a lot of teams. You know, it would be like, oh, it's 70 minutes, we still haven't scored, oh, people are losing their heads. Uh, it could even potentially work against City if you got really, really lucky. Because Leeds did get lucky to only lose this game 2-1. Haaland had six shots and mm. didn't score. And that has, that has only happened once before this season where he had that many shots and didn't score a goal. So um, obviously he gave the penalty to Gundogan to here have a hat trick, which I thought was was actually incredible that he did that. I mean, I think it was good, but Guardiola was really annoyed. Oh, straight away. Um, he was he was angry because it's like, well, you know, this is bullshit. Score the goal. You know, we can't be. We know you're a nice guy, Erling. You don't have to show the chair. I was quite struck by Gunnogan's reaction to it. He was so chuffed. Mm. So, just, yeah, what, yeah. what a mark of respect, big man. Thanks so well, much. Seriously, this guy's chasing records all over the place, but he obviously doesn't care about them. That much, not yet. I mean, it was a fairly easy argument for him to make to Gundogan to say, "Well, listen, it's mate, only two nil. You know, we got trick, a treble to yeah. win here. You know, yeah, yeah. You know, come on, we've we've got a treble to win, and I'm also chasing Dixie Dean. You know, Ilkay, um, I know you're looking for a hat trick, 
but we're looking for a hat trick as a team as well. There's no a hat trick of titles. There's no for that reason, Ilkay, I'm sorry. I must take this penalty. <laughs> I mean, I'm really sorry. I mean, in fairness, really Gungan didn't even want to really take the ball. He was kind of like, "Are you sure? Are you sure?" You know, and Holland's like, oh, "Go on, mate." You know, I'm with my friend Murph on this one. I think Holland and my my pal Pep. Penalty taker takes the penalty. Uh, Shearer said even if it's 7-0, the penalty taker takes well, the penalty. Well, Shearer obviously wouldn't hand it over the the, no. the penalty. But I, I thought it was an interesting thing for for Haaland to do. A player in that position who has, you know, has already has already set a record. Every goal he sets is extending it. And he is closing in, I mentioned the Dixie Dean, like 12 goals to equal Dixie Dean's like all-time, all-competition record. Mm. He obviously doesn't care about that at all. I, I mean... I realised over the weekend I didn't really know that much about Dixie Dean when I read a piece about him um, by Paul McParlin on the uh, it was in the Guardian, uh, which contained the following fact, which I had never heard before, which I f- actually find surprising. Consi- which mm. you can tell me if you also find it surprising when you hear the fact. Okay. Have you heard it before? <laughs> You'd better tell us. Dean signed for his first club, Tranmere, in the summer of 1923. He made his full league debut against Rotherham, but Tranmere lost 5-1. He was sitting back at the stiffs. It was here, the following month. That is the ground. Did he edit? Even before it started. No. In, in February 1924. No. <laughs> <Sorry>. <laughs> Dean played Hold against... Hold on a second. Are you going to tell us that he played for Sligo Rovers? No. Okay, because well, I did know that one. Dean I think pl- it was Sligo. Dean played against yeah. Altrincham in the Cheshire Senior Cup. He scored two goals before his tormented marker warned him he would not score any more delivering a carefully aimed kick between Dean's legs. The pain was excruciating. He lost a testicle and his career was placed in jeopardy. Wow. I nope. fucking hell. Did not Jesus. Know that. No, I didn't know this at all. So Dixie Dean was doing all this, having lost a testicle. Big Sam had actually said the same thing to Ilkay Gundogan at the weekend. That's why he missed the penalty. <laughs> the, the story goes on. Well, I, I never knew that Dixie Dean lost a testicle to, to a guy who was pissed off that he'd scored two goals. Yeah. Just two goals on him and didn't want to score. I mean, that's, you know... We you can't about be the, doing that, Ken. You can't I be just, doing I think it's it's, just, Come on I now. I think it's bad. Years later, Dean was in a bar in Chester when someone offered to buy him a drink. Dean recognised the man as Davy Parks, who he believed was responsible for the loss of his testicle. As Dean told the story, he then laid his former opponent out with one punch. Revenge was sweet. Or was it? Meticulous research by biographers revealed Dean had assaulted the wrong man. <laughs> so, I don't know. Yeah. I guess it didn't. Uh, wow, what a, wouldn't, justice was never what served. A, what a beautiful story. Do you want to know? Daisy chain of, of misery. Do you want to know what you missed in the Spurs game? Go on. Harry Kane scored and Spurs won one now. Harry Kane, 100 at home, 100 away. 200, yeah. 209. Goal number 209 takes him above Wayne Rooney to second oh. place. What Solo. A, what an even split that is as well. 100 and 109. Mm. I mean, that's a mark of something, isn't it? Something. It's something, all right. Um, what's happening is, uh, I thought the, the, the end of the City-Leeds game was interesting because of the way that for the first time in about three months, City suddenly felt a jolt of, oh no, you know, are we about to, did you see Pep pumping the water into himself? Yeah. <laughs> he was like, like the you know eyes like darting around and he's just like funneling water yeah. into his belly and I thought mm, you know and and the way Gunningham was kind of so disappointed after literally like one of the greatest midfield performances of all time you know like one of the most dominant uh, in certain ways uh, to to me you know is that what you want to be feeling as you prepare to play against Real Madrid because look. Oh, and it's no surprise to you that I 
I don't give Real Madrid much of a chance of getting past Manchester City. Jeepers. You know, uh. I don't think that they will. I think that Manchester City are going to do do it this time. I think they're going to do them this time. Owen. Um, I just feel as though they've gone to the next level, and I don't see that Real Madrid really have have are able to to match that level. I mean, if you if you see City's last sixteen matches, fifteen wins in the last sixteen. Don't bother talking to me about Real Madrid in the in La Liga. They don't care. Um, they happen to pick up a La Liga title every five or six years, keeps them ticking over. But they're a Champions League team, and I've been impressed with them in the Champions League. Well, you know, all I'm saying, Owen, is that uh, there might be a little bit too much we are Real Madrid going on here and not enough. Uh, what are we actually going to do about Haaland and everything else Man City do? Um, the last 16 Man City games, 15 wins out of 16. So the only exception there is their one-all draw against Bayern, which was in Munich, and they only already didn't, through, basically. And they they were already through, and they only didn't win on the night because they had a penalty given against them in the last m- minute, which was a bit harsh. Um, and that was away in a game they were already leading 3-0. Um, 52 goals scored and 8 conceded in those 16 matches. I mean, like... It's crazy. If you compare that to Man United's treble team, so this is the only other team that's achieved what City are trying to achieve, the equivalent for the, for them, the equivalent numbers for them, if you go back to this date and look at their last 16 matches that they played, nine wins and seven draws in 16. Mm. Um, 27 scored, 13 conceded. So City have scored like nearly twice as many in, you know. the, the If you remember that treble season, that Manchester United team honestly seemed to have magical powers. It was, it was the late goal thing. There were a lot of late goals that made it feel as though they had those magical powers. It was just this incredible kind of epic, how long can they keep doing this? This is unbelievable. I can't believe what I'm seeing here. This city thing, it's almost it's like watching a robotic lawnmower. You know, it's like it's like a, a robot lawnmower going around cutting the grass. And, you know, it's like, this is great. Uh, you know, it takes a lot of work, work out of it. Um... But it, it doesn't have that sense of, oh my God, I can't believe what I'm seeing here, you know? I'm using my own lawnmower. <laughs> but, but, <laughs> but, you know, the, I know, man, I still get a, I still get a, a rush every second Saturday. When? Oh, get the, the lawnmower out. Yeah. Cut your grass every two weeks? Ah, yeah, probably. In the summer, yeah. yeah in the growing season, yeah. Um, but, you know, stay on top of it all. I think, I think the, it did mean that, that Man United were kind of, I mean, if, if you look at their the the treble season the last eight matches in the league are four wins and four draws can you imagine like the bottling uh, the the bottling discourse that would happen today if you did, if you produce four draws in your last eight matches but this was like the team with the, the greatest sort of mentality of all time I think that they were kind of used to experiencing these difficult moments I mean every game every game was like oh my god what are we going to do now <laughs> you know the city just aren't used to that like no one's had a glove on them in months and this is the only reason that I have to doubt them against Real Madrid because Real Madrid will not be afraid of them mm. you know this is maybe their maybe their confidence is completely unwarranted you know maybe <laughs> but, but the, at, at the same time it exists I think he's talking himself around though. I know He's no. talking sense at last. Yeah, finally. I don't think. Finally Real Madrid's last 16, 110, drawn one, lost five. Doesn't lost matter. five of the last 16, 433. And they'll lose one of these legs as well, I can tell you that. Nobody done. Sit down. Drink wine and relax. So look, that, drink wine, drink water. Drink water. Um, so that's that's tomorrow. I'm looking forward to that. Um, what else? Just uh, Chelsea are going to sign Poch. So that's hardly news. And, well, this hasn't been confirmed. We'll see. Liverpool linked with 
Jorg Schmadke as the new sporting director. Um, there's been this talk at the Liverpool course of Jurgen Klopp having uh, amassed too much power um, in, in contrast to the you know the system they had in place before with people like Michael Edwards and Ian Graham and so on. Um, so maybe they're going to address that by bringing in um, a 59-year-old German uh, with what appears to be an encyclopedic knowledge of the Bundesliga uh, 2005 to 2013. Um, Schmadke was... I think last the sporting director at Wolfsburg, where I read in Raphael Honigstein's uh, piece about him, he sold Victor Ossiman for three and a half million euros uh, to Charleroi, who promptly sold Victor Ossiman a couple of weeks later for 22 million euros. Victor Ossiman has been involved in some strange transfers, right? right? You know, and this was before the Lille Napoli transfer. Mm. Um, But three and a half million. Uh, he sold loss in That's a hell of a couple of weeks of training he's put down there, to be fair. Yeah. Um, but, you know, uh, apparently, according to Archie Rintot, who you'll see on, on BT doing the uh, Bundesliga, um, they know each other, not through football, as you might expect, but through their mutual friends, Die Totenhosen. Uh, they're both friends <laughs> with the German rockers. Okay. So, uh, Jörg Schmadke and Jörg They're Kopp. the ones who did the Ver- Timo Werner song, isn't it? Uh, Owen, to be honest, I can't tell you. No, die Tottenhosen are the massive are, are, are major, are major yeah. band. Emo Ernst, the Emo Erner song, uh, Owen. Uh, I'll correct you there. You called it the Timo Werner song. That's incorrect. Mm. So we'll see. Just said it's a song I can maybe play out with it later on. The Schmad lad. He could be coming in to uh, sort out there. <laughs> Schmadzer. I'm not, his, his quote, uh, according to, I'm not as big an ass as people say. <laughs> People call them rats because a rat will do anything to survive. Isn't that right, Mr. Hill? Objection. I would not give Real Madrid a rat's chance against no, Chelsea. You didn't give them a rat's if, chance. If they, if they get through against Chelsea, uh, Owen, I do not give them a rat's chance. Okay, there's yeah, a rat. Rat's chance. Yeah. No, no rat's chance. Camavinga searching for Benzema. Who's oh. it in the goal of back? It's I just can't see it. Still, come on. I will not give Real Madrid a rat's chance. City. Not a rat's chance. Oh my word! It's Rodrigo again! It's going to catch up with you eventually. I don't believe in magic. I believe in reality. I believe in material reality. Here comes Benzema. Side puts the ball in. They don't know nothing about being a rat. Mr. Hill, you know everything about being a rat. I thought they would lose to PSG. They beat PSG. I thought they would lose to Chelsea. They beat Chelsea. I thought they would lose to Manchester City. And really, they should have lost to Manchester City. And what about Liverpool, then? Are you giving them a chance against Liverpool? No. The 42.e's Gavin Cooney is in studio to chat about the FAI commissioned report into the funding of horse and greyhound racing and the response of the government to the concerns raised. Gavin, how are you? How are you? This is just as glamorous as that sounds now. This is a really glamorous Monday morning chat. And I do thank you for for giving up some of your time to talk about this today, Gavin. It's... uh, it's a sober sounding subject, but well, first of all, before we get into it, why, why is it significant? Why did you decide to pick up on it in your detailed piece over because the last few days? the FAI need money. Uh, I mean, the FAI have this strategy document that was published last year. It was on the show talking about it and wrote about it extensively. They've got other uh, documents coming down the line, investment strategies and, and player pathway strategies. So like the future of the sport in Ireland 
desperately needs investment. Uh, and this, the FAI, I believe, is one avenue to getting that. And then you've had the government response of the last week, which has been quite disingenuous. And actually, uh, the FAI's report raised some questions. The government's response to it raised even more. OK, so let's start with the first part of that. Mm. What questions did the... FAI Commission report raised in the first place? Yeah, so it's it was titled uh, in, uh, a report on the horse and greyhound fund in the context of sports funding in Ireland. So it's it's 77 pages long. It's, it's fairly detailed. It took me quite a while to get my head around it. <laughs> um, but there is, it's, based, it's based off uh, of the betting tax. So the horse and greyhound fund is the uh, pot of money that funds those two sports slash activities slash industries uh, and has done since 2001. So uh, the the law states that it's linked to the betting tax so every bet that's placed in Ireland there's a 2% tax on it now that doesn't matter if it's uh, on sport what sport it's on if it's on Eurovision if it's on Owen's prospects of being the next Late Late Show everything goes to the, to the Horse and Greyhound Fund so the FEI said this is quite an unusual mechanism the FEI's report should I say said this is quite an unusual mechanism uh, because regardless of what you're betting on everything is going to subsidising these two sports um, and then the law also states that 80% of that money goes to the horse, indus- horse racing industry and another 20% goes to uh, the Greyhound industry so I mean the state has paid nearly 1.6 billion euro into this fund since uh, the year 2000 and the FAI argue, well, look, not all sports bets are on horse racing. We estimate that around 30% of bets are on football. So why can't, why can't we get our fair share? Which is what what's their, what are their proposed solutions to this? They so have they've three they, of them, this report they? puts in three of them. Yeah, so it's keep the tax at 2%, but allocated more fairly based off so other sports. So they say 60% for horse and greyhound racing, 20% for football and 20% for other sports. That That's based on a proportion of bets placed on, on sports. Another is to raise it to 3% and allocate along those lines. And an additional one is to raise it to 3% but guarantee uh, that the 2021 total will be uh, ring-fenced for the Horse and Ground Fund going forward. So that was just the money that they got in 2021 will be guaranteed. So why did you say that you feel that the response from the government has raised more concerns even than the initial questions did? Yeah, because they effectively, um, they said that the FEI's entire ar- entire argument is moot. Uh, so this was covered on, so this was first reported by the Irish Independent last Wednesday week. Orty Drive Time did a piece on it the following day and they got a, a statement from the Department of Sport. Now the horse and, greyhound, grey, horse and greyhound industries are not under the Department of Sport. It is the Department of Agriculture. Uh, but the Department of Sport came out and said uh, that we subsequently engaged with the Department of Finance uh, who advised that the money raised in the betting tax just goes into the general state coffers rather than is specifically ring-fenced for the Horse and Greyhound Fund. So uh, they actually say that as such the question of how the betting duty proceeds are allocated is moot. So on the face of that, the FAI look like complete clowns because they've uh, they've commissioned this big report. This is their this is a central piece of work for them, and the entire premise of it, based off that, is wrong, which is you know very embarrassing for the FAI. And then they got kicked around the place, but in certain certainly racing media outlets, uh, saying that they uh, that I think there was one on the at the races website which called it bizarre and ill-founded. But that's not fair to the FAI at all because that claim that they're not linked is not credible based off uh, practice that we've seen from everyone involved. Uh, like the FAI's, this own report does say like something happened in 2009 but we're not really quite sure what. 
that severed the link between the betting tax and the funding to horse and greyhound industries. Uh, now, the law still states that they're linked. I, I asked Last week we asked the Department of Finance and the Department of Agriculture to point us to the law in which things changed. We're a week on and we haven't heard back. So, you know, I, I maintain open to correction on there on that if they come back to me. But no, I, I found no amendment to that law. But sorry, why you, uh, firstly, why, why is it so important to establish whether or not these are still linked. If you just clarify that for us and why are you saying that in practice they are linked mm. even if we're being told or not? Well, wh- why it's important to establish whether they are linked or not is like on what basis then have has the state been funding the horse and greyhound industry since 2001. So every year, politicians and the Minister of Agriculture returns the dole to approve that year's annual funding for the horse and greyhound industries. Uh, And every year, the law uh, cited is the 2001 Horse and Greyhound uh, Act, uh, which established this fund. That is the basis for the 80-20 split Mm. that I referred to. Uh, So uh, if there is no... the betting fund and the horse and greyhound... uh, Sorry, the betting tax and the horse and greyhound fund are not linked then on what basis has, have we been doling out nearly 1.6 billion euro to these two industries over the last, however, since 2001? Have we had a selective application of that law? So I think that that's important. Oh. And then, sorry, your second the question The second was, part of it was, you said that in practice it is, you feel they are still linked. Well, we've, we're, we're told, well, we're told, we're told or not. yeah, we're told that since 2009, this is apparently when they were, when they were severed. Uh, if it, ha- if they have been severed, it's been main, it's been kept a kind of secret, exquisite secret. Like, I mean, like, why, for for instance, the horse racing industry have continued to lobby for an increase in the betting tax. They finally got their way when it went from one. But it's got nothing 2%. to do with them. Yeah, but if it had nothing to do with them, then you'd expect them to want there to be no betting tax. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Yeah, well, the the betting tax is paid by the bookmaker rather than the uh, the punter but that's a, that is a side issue like why would the HRI spend so the horse horse racing Ireland spend so much time lobbying uh, for an increase in the betting tax if it wasn't linked to them I mean if we again we're told that these things split in 2009 Simon Coveney was the Minister for Agriculture in 2011 he was talking about uh, the link between them the Minister for Finance Michael Noonan the same year said that the lowering of the rate to 1% had seen betting duty receipts fall from all time high and that this had been tied to the funding for horse racing and greyhound racing through the greyhound fund so I, like, um, if, if you know as we're told that there's been no link between these since 2009 would have been great if everyone involved would know it you know it, it's actually like you know if a class of 30 leaving their students fail the French exam at the end of the year and clearly show that they're not a, they haven't learned what they were supposed to learn you ask questions of the teacher there you don't ask questions of the 30 students so it, it's quite I, I find I find the response pretty pretty disingenuous I mean like even the HRI chairman uh, wrote in his annual report in 2010 we welcome the government's commitment to betting duty as the basis of the horse and greyhound racing fund uh, 2012 annual report by a new chairman Joe Keeling Horse Racing Ireland welcomes an Indicon report and congratulations Minister Coveney his department and Indicon on the work done it addresses the case for a betting levy regime to bring all betting providers into the tax system and provide an adequate and consistent level of funding for the horse racing industry. And lastly, there was a, in 2017, there was a report by Deloitte um, which assessed the economic impact of horse racing. So this is the document that is the Bible for anyone justifying the state investment into the horse racing industry. Is that A, it's an industry and it's providing 29,500 jobs and it uh, returns €30 euro to the state for every €1 euro invested. So that is... Sounds like the best investment ever. It does. We should probably put more money into it based yeah, on that. And, but that report, Ken, also says that the Irish government supports the Irish
Irish breeding and racing industry through the Horse and Greyhound Fund. A 1% betting tax on all bets placed by Irish punters feeds into the fund, which in 2016 paid £60 million to HRI and is included in core industry expenditure. So the idea that these things are not linked, there may have been some uh, severing of an explicit link, but there's clearly linked in, in practicality. And there's even, there is a correlation between the monies paid in, the returns from the betting tax from 2019 to 2021 were 5 million more than uh, the figure, uh, sorry, 80% of the funds uh, of, from the betting tax uh, was only 5 million more than what was paid to the uh, horse racing industry in that time. And then we finally had a bit of clarity last week from a civil servant called Brendan Gleeson from uh, the Department of Agriculture who says that, yeah, there is a betting tax there. It's in the mid 90 millions. That's correct. It covers or close to matches the cost of this being the horse uh, raising fund. It's not a strict process of ring fencing, but it's part of the policy picture that supports the investment of these sectors. So they're not linked, but this money just happens to pay for it. Uh, tell me, um, you mentioned the horse racing Bible, mm-hmm. which, which they said horse racing is the backbone of the Irish economy or whatever. Uh, is there a greyhound racing Bible? It's, uh, and is there, is there yes, I mean, is. If, if, if not, is there any, what, what's the basis of the greyhound uh, industry's claim to receive a quarter of the funding that horse racing? I mean, horse racing, I can see, is, you know, is, is big. Maybe it's just because horses are big. You know, <laughs> horses are bigger than greyhounds. The whole thing just seems on a bigger, a grander scale. Yeah. Greyhound racing. <laughs> really? I mean, what's yeah. the, what's the basis for, um, for this, for, for such massive funding in industry, which, I mean, the last I heard, they were killing about 6,000 dogs a year. Mm, yeah, it's, it's difficult to ascertain quite honestly I mean like 16.8 million euro of our money went to Greyhound Race the Greyhound industry in, in 2019 it seems to be that these things have just always been linked and it must always proceed in lockstep this is, at a 4 to 1 ratio yeah. so if so if horse racing gets you know five, it gets gets 10 then then the Greyhound Racing has to get 250 yeah. for, for instance like when the horse racing industry got COVID relief money in 2020 the Greyhound industry got a bump there because that's what's in the low and you can okay that's in the low and we can change it but also to go back to Owen's earlier question as to why it's important just to figure out whether there's a link between the betting tax and not was just like well that's in that low as well so yeah. you know it seems and look again I've, we've asked the departments for que- for answers and we're open to being correct <laughs> I didn't even go back to you about this no I've been uh, the Department Still of not. Sport did say this is a question for the Department of Agriculture you've got to ask someone else um, so it is very whatever um, I think obviously there there are clear benefits to the horse race to investment in the horse racing industry. The FAI's report questions the scale of it, uh, but the same argument is almost impossible to make for greyhound racing. I mean, 2019 total attendances in 2019 and, and going to the dogs in a kind of a metaphorical and literal sense, 463,000 people. So it's down from a third of its peak. So you know we've been plowing money into this, and it's only and it's only dwindling. Are there figures, reliable figures for the proportion of, of bets that go in each of these sports? It's difficult, not in Ireland, because there's no, there's no data on it. Uh, so the FAI report relies on data from the gambling uh, commissioner in the UK. Uh, so they estimate, what, what did I say, 60, around 60% into um, horse racing and greyhound racing, and then, you know, roughly 30% into football. But it's... Uh, 
those, those that data doesn't exist in Ireland because the revenue doesn't collect it because all of the money is going to these two sports from betting data. So from betting, from the betting tax. So you know why can't those figures? The technical nature of the objection to what the FAI are saying that is well, I mean this is all moot because uh, this isn't really it isn't really like that. Mm. There isn't really a link. Uh, seems to me to dodge the um, more important issue of the fairness of the allocation of mm. funding. You know, the, you're just kind of saying, "Oh, well, this isn't you're you're stupid for coming up and saying this because this is this isn't it." But the FAI have a have a strong case here, and if there is no link between betting tax and money spent on sport, then maybe we should bring one in <laughs> because it seems to to this, it, it seems to me, you know, if you're going to have gambling, a lot of people think we shouldn't even have it. But if you are going to have this, you know, corrosive social evil, then at least you can you know get it to pay for some of the things that it's gambling about. And if so, then football is. Obviously, uh, you know one of the main things people do gamble on. Yeah. So that I th- you're completely right. And I so the FAI's report. This was actually, I mean, this report was done and submitted to the government back in September 2021. So it has taken a while for it to come to light. Uh, and also, obviously, Dan McDonald had to publish it before I became aware of it, <laughs> and then subsequently <laughs> read it. Um, so, but I don't know why we've wasted a week of public debate on this, arguing about the semantics of uh, well, is this money technically like? Uh, literally ring fence from the betting tax to go into the horse and ground fund or is it there is there no link but there's you know it's part of the policy picture like that seems like a complete waste of a week's debate around this mm-hmm. and that's I find I find that interesting I always find it interesting when uh, fair arguments are immediately dismissed as moot by the people who might be affected by them uh, yeah. again that's not credible moot I mean a word no one even really knows what it means <laughs> <laughs> what, what does it even mean it means you could have a debate about that, but it's irrelevant somehow. Mm. What does mood even mean? Just on this, though. It, 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 well, firstly, <laughs> I'm, I'm looking. It, why do you ask that? I'm it, looking. I, I feel you, you render that you, point. You, you look at mood. I'm rendering that point. Mood temporarily, Ken. While I ask about the FAI, they have had a government bailout relatively recently. Yeah. They have had government funding. So, is there a question there as to are they not already getting what they need from the government? Mm. I have seen that. I've seen that point made. I don't think it's fair, really. They obviously got uh, a government bailout for uh, having been run into the ground during the John Delaney tenure. Uh, the terms of that, I think, are. Uh, I think it's. I know other sports were quite put out by the fact that the FAI's punishment for being run into the ground was having their state funding doubled for for three years to bail them out. But I think this is the F, it's the FAI's job to fund to try and find money for football in Ireland. All other sports uh, are good at advocating for themselves and lobbying for themselves. Are there better ways than this though, Gav? I don't know. Like, well, I actually it, don't. I don't think there is. Well, just, I think this is a good way of approaching yeah, it. Uh, maybe in a, yeah, but just in a climate when sports bodies around the world are being asked or sh- should be being asked to examine their relationship with gambling. Mm. The FAI, is there not something jarring about the FAI's best idea to raise funds being to try to get a bigger slice of the gambling pie? It's, uh, that is a fair. That is a fair argument. I mean, the FBI will say that you know they've foregone a gambling sponsor on the front of the national team jersey. Like, I mean, you know, this is a major stick with which they've been beaten over the last couple of years that they haven't got a sponsor. They could have got a gambling sponsor, and the board voted against it. So, you know, they haven't promoted gambling in that respect. Um, this is, I think, you're, you're, but your broader point is fair. But what I would the kind of the counter argument to it is that the FEI need money. Uh, and rather than going with a begging bowl to the government, they're like, "Well, hang on, we ha- there, this revenue extreme exists, and is this the fair way, the fairest way?" That is still gambling revenue, though. I, I don't see how they can make if it, you want to call it a moral stand about not taking gambling advertising on their shirt, but yet they are at the same time advocating for a slice of this mm. gambling money. 
in another through the government. I don't. Well, there really is see. a difference there. I mean, you know, they're they're not themselves promoting gambling, <clears throat> but gambling is something which is allowed here under you know under the current law. So, you know, it's subject to tax like any other like regulated activity. So, why shouldn't the sport in which a lot of these bets are placed benefit from from that? You know, they're they're not going out there with like a you know a bookmaker's name on the front of their shirts, which kids are going to be wearing or whatever. You know, I mean, it's. Is yeah, it, it, does, that, that it, it does feel like they're only going so far with that with that stance then, though, if they are... Well, if we're going to take that stance, we should get rid of these greyhound, these cruel sports which only exist for gambling anyway. You know what I mean? The, the, I'd see greyhound racing banned long before I'd see gambling banned. Hmm. That's that's a personal view. What's your what's your moot? What's the definition of moot? Moot basically means we could argue about it, but there's no point and we wouldn't be able to come to a decision about it anyway. Um... <laughs> You know, uh, which which seems like a kind of a okay subject to dis- debate, dispute, or uncertainty, or having little or no practical relevance, typically because the subject is too uncertain to allow decision. And I'm not sure if that really applies to this uh, this discussion. Actually, another kind of uh, another sign besides the kind of lawyerly objection, you know, oh, this is moot, is that there's a bit of tone policing as well. I was a bit surprised um, to see. Uh, well, I suppose Ian Mallon, who who used to be the, um, you know, the the communications uh, chief for the FAI, uh, does call him the examiner now, um, and I guess he's only reporting this when he says government insiders believe the report was as the FAI report was. In the words of one senior Marion Street source, arrogant, entitled, politically naive, and badly advised. There were other elements of the attempt to force a change in government policy, which surprised advisors and government insiders, particularly the time of the demand amid a housing and refugee accommodation crisis. There are also issues with the tone of the FAI paper, which contain little by way of expression of gratitude. So this is all tone, uh, tone stuff. I also saw Philip Quinn uh, in the Daily Mail comparing the FAI to Oliver Twist, mm. begging for more. But Oliver Twist was entitled to to go up and chance his arm. <laughs> you know what I mean? Surely Oliver Twist, like, he was hungry. But it's natural, but it's natural, it's natural that the, like the FAI are asking for money. It's very hard to ask people for money and not give them a headache. I mean, this is, it is their job. It's not the FAI or any other sports body's job uh, to sit there and made, and agree to feel grateful for what they're giving. Like, on a broader point, sports funding in Ireland is quite poor. I mean, the, the, this own FAI report says 0.4% of Ireland's GDP goes to sports funding. The EU average is 0.8. Like we're way at the bottom of the table. So like, the idea that the FAI should be made to feel grateful for what they have, I don't think is a fair one. And I think that stymies the, the, the potential development of the, of the sport here. Because there is a, a real case here. I mean, this is a much bigger sport than either horse or ground racing by participation in terms of the number of mm. people's lives that it affects and can improve. In but, yeah, that, that, like, but what you say there kind of leads on to... And also in to, terms of the number of dead animals it generates. Le- what, what you say there leads on to kind of a, an important element of the debate as to whether the greyhound and horse racing activities, let's begin by calling them that, are sports or, industri- and they, or d- industries. And d- they call themselves industries. Mm. Which is, and that there was, a, I found a, a government report into this in 2009, uh, which 
I found the best definition of it. So they define sports as being for the pr- the primary benefits beneficiaries of that uh, are its participants, whereas in industry the primary benefits of it uh, is the economy at large. Now the horse racing industry will say that the economy has massively benefited and continues to benefit uh, from the state investment in it. As we mentioned, thirty euro um, yield for every one euro um, invested. Twenty eight thousand nine hundred jobs. Yeah. Now the FAI's report does. Quest, do, does question that you know like they well, does argue should. like I mean you know it questions it on, on the fact it questions the fact yeah like it, it points out like of that 28,900 6,000 are employed in betting shops where they're taking bets from people betting on football uh, and 7,700 7, uh, people are employed in secondary industry so do do they owe their livelihood solely to horse racing the FAI's report says that that's not valid so there's question marks around that uh, around that as well uh, and on the uh, and on the industry then sense then I mean the 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 HRI do say that like horse racing is quite dependent on this on this uh, on the state funding I mean uh, and but they're spending the bulk of it on prize money sixty four and a half percent of the twenty nineteen allocation to the HRI went on prize that money. sounds like a benefit that goes primarily to the participants. Uh, well yeah you, well and the FEI's report would argue just very few participants. The top ten owners in both types of racing won almost one third of all the prize money in 2019. That's great. So, so Michael O'Leary and people like this are uh, are getting yeah, this now, look, money, which is from, fair- the, from the from the exchequer. It's not even from betting tax, apparently. Mm. To, but the other the other point about that, and I think this is, I mean, this this annoys me, right? That the thing that you said about essentially that that industry is privileged above sport based on this claim that it benefits the economy as opposed to who? The participants. Who are the participants? The participants are the people of this country. Mm. They're, they're, they're actually existing people. Why do we have a system that's saying, well, one thing benefits the economy, the other thing only benefits the people. So, you know, that's uh, that's not as important. And the, like, the idea that these are industries rather than sports is massively open to debate. Oh, like, I mean, you, you buy the Racing Post to get the results. You don't buy the Financial Times. Like, And the... Uh, the FEI's own report then does make the point and, you know, it is an interesting one. If this is such a successful industry, why is it so... Why does it need to be propped up with state subsidies to this extent? That's exactly it. Like, I, I referenced this... Sorry, I realise listeners are beginning will have their heads in a tizzy with all these reports, etc. There was one in 2012 by a group called Indicon which um, recommended that the horse racing and the greyhound industries uh, wean themselves off state funding. That hasn't happened. You know, they're still quite reliant on it. And, you know, the FAI's report does raise questions as to too much of it is going to uh, going on prize money. Gavin Cooney, well explained as always. Thanks a million. Oh, I hope so. Thanks a million. <laughs> <laughs> uh, Owen, I like you and I like your style. The second captain. We've got that bit better quality. It's a compliment any place, anywhere, all over the world. Full of protein. It's information, fluid information. I don't know what you're talking about. You can do it while you're cleaning the house, brushing your teeth, taking a bath. Trying to be critical is going to be impossible. Before we even get to the Champions League tomorrow night, there are some Premier League fixtures on. Well, in fact, one of them is on probably right now, as some of you are listening to this. Fulham against Leicester, 3pm. Bank holiday. It's bank holiday, of course. Oh, yeah. That's oh, that's 3 o'clock. Yeah, 3 o'clock. What? It's not on TV. It's oh, it's a bank holiday, of course, because the, the king and all. We didn't even mention the king. The king and all. We were... Uh, there was a bit of booing at some grounds. Uh, lusty um, renditions of God Save the King at uh, West Ham and Rangers. Very lusty at West Ham. Oh, they loved it. They absolutely, 
they love the they love the king there. But obviously there, there were regrettable scenes elsewhere at Celtic mm, and shocking. Liverpool and Br- Brighton Everton is on a half past five on BT Sport kickoff and then Nottingham Forest, Southampton is eight o'clock on Sky Sports. And of course, Real Madrid against Manchester City tomorrow night. We'll be talking about all that during the week. We've got the great Trent debate. Mm. Ken and Damien on Thursday. And that's all for World Service members. Thanks for listening. We'll talk to you tomorrow. Thank you, Owen. Thank you, Ken. Thank you, Kieran. Thank you, Owen. Second Captain's Podcast, need I remind you, is part of the... ACAST Creator Network. Ich bin stolz, er ist überall bekannt. Imo kommt aus Eitzig, ist ein Torgarant. Imo Erna spielt für unser Land. Imo Erna ist kein Uhrensohn. 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 Ecke Höfgall ist ein It is not war and death and famine, it's not that at all. It's the opposite of that, it's to persuade the world outside of that. That's why sports important. Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings. From premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts, start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. This message comes from BOF sponsor eBay. You'll know real when you get it. It'll say eBay Authenticity Guarantee. And you'll feel it. Maybe it's a head-turning handbag, a watch that says it all, jewellery that makes you look like the gem, or sneakers and streetwear so fresh every step feels fly. eBay gets it. So look for the blue check mark next to that thing you love. And be confident that every inch, stitch, sole, and logo is checked by experts. With eBay Authenticity Guarantee, you can trust that feeling of real is always in reach. Ensure your next purchase is the real deal. Visit ebay.com for terms.